Today's reading is Luke 9, verses 28 to 50. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were walking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams in the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to the father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them, so they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reason of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. For he is least among all of you, is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he does not follow us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. This is the word of the Lord.
Evening, everyone. My name's Scott. I'm the student minister. Uh, let's pray together as we come to God's word. Our Father, as we see Jesus and hear him speak to us in the words of our passage this evening, we are both encouraged and challenged. Father, please give us eyes to see and give us faith to hear and to believe and to put into practice what he shows us. In Jesus' name, amen. Is it worth following Jesus? Is it worth it when he asks us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him? That's what he challenged us to do in the passage we looked at uh, last week. And that is a big ask, isn't it? If we're going to do that, we need to know that it's worth it. See, the world would say you can't know. Uh, it, it's just a leap into the dark, blind faith. Are they right? Is following Jesus just a leap into the dark? How can, how can you know that it's worth carrying on trusting in Jesus when it's hard? When it, it, it comes at a cost to your reputation, uh, to your bank balance, uh, to your ambitions, when you wonder if you've just been a fool uh, to trust in Jesus. Well, tonight's passage shows us that it is worth it. And whether you're still weighing up following Jesus or whether you've been trusting in him for years, the passage this evening will show us that there is no one greater than Jesus. And that Jesus uses that greatness to serve us, and to suffer for us. So follow him. It is worth it. Uh, three things uh, we'll see as we work through these verses uh, together. Um, firstly, that Jesus' greatness is the greatest. Secondly, that in greatness, Jesus comes to serve and to suffer. And thirdly, that Jesus' greatness exposes our self-importance and tribalism. That's where we're going this evening. Uh, firstly, then, Jesus' greatness is the greatest. See, what we get here in these uh, opening verses is a glimpse of Jesus' greatness, his true greatness, the greatness that we will all see one day when he returns in glory. Uh, we see it in, in three little ways in this strange incident. Uh, we see it firstly in his appearance. Uh, look at verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. See, Jesus' very appearance changes so that he's no longer just another face in the crowd, but a face like no other. And his clothes are so dazzling that it's, it's almost hard to describe uh, what they're like. See, for, for a little glimpse, his appearance matches his greatness. And like, the, like the CEO who arrives at work with her perfect hair and crisp Armani suit, or the, the general who comes in the immaculate press uh, uniform and a chest full of medals, the appearance matches the greatness. And so Jesus' appearance here matches his greatness, and it is overwhelming to the point where the disciples pretty much pass out at verse 32. 
Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Jesus' appearance matches his greatness. Secondly, we we see a little glimpse of Jesus' greatness in his wingmen in this story. Look at verse 30. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. These two figures who appear next to Jesus look pretty impressive. And actually, they are pretty impressive. Uh, Moses is the great leader. The one who fulfills God's rescue of his people, leads the people out of Egypt. Uh, The one through whom God gave the law and the Ten Commandments. He is a big deal. And so is Elijah. Elijah is the great prophet. Uh, Someone who did uh, miracles never seen before in Israel. But notice uh, as these three greats uh, gather together what they're talking about. Uh, They aren't comparing stories of their great exploits. They are speaking about Jesus and his departure. Uh, Literally his, his exodus, his death and resurrection and ascension to glory uh, to rescue God's people. This is all about Jesus. Moses and Elijah, well, they're just there to highlight Jesus' greatness. Think of of it like this. Um, Prince Charles and Prince William um, are pretty impressive. uh, Some might say great figures. And they can certainly, you know, they can certainly hold a room. But when the queen is present... Well, Prince, uh, Prince Charles and Prince William fade into the background and the Queen is center stage. So too as th- these great men step back because they are in the presence of greatness. And, and notice that it's not just these two that point to Jesus' greatness. Um, as if any more confirmation was needed, uh, we have the greatest confirmation in the voice of the Father. Verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. This is just the second time in Luke's gospel that we hear the voice of the Father speaking directly. And the first was at Jesus' baptism, uh, speaking to Jesus. But here, uh, the message is for the disciples. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. There is no one greater than the Son of God, the one chosen to do the Father's work. And so we must listen to him. And in case there's any doubt about which of the three greats uh, the father is talking about, there's Jesus alone. See, when Jesus Jesus promises that whoever loses their life for him will save it, we can trust him. When he calls you to deny yourself and follow him, You must obey him. 
What an encouragement this glimpse of Jesus' greatness must have been for those disciples to, to encourage them to keep following Jesus. And it's the same for us, isn't it? When it feels like Jesus is just asking too much of us, when it feels like the cost is too great, well, these verses show us that there is no one greater than Jesus. There is no one greater we can follow. There is no one greater to deny yourself for, to live for, to give your life for. Because Jesus' greatness is the greatest. Second thing we see here is that in greatness, Jesus comes to serve and to suffer. Look at verse 33. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. See, Peter wants to stay here in this glorious scene. And who can blame him? He's thinking, never mind the suffering and the dying, Jesus. You stay here and we'll stay here with you. Let's, let us bypass the whole uh, deny yourself, take up your cross. Let's, let's just go straight for the glory. But that is not how Jesus uses his greatness. You know, Jesus comes down the mountain just as he came down from heaven to earth in order to serve and to suffer. That's what we see in, in the next little two sections. Um, as Jesus serves a desperate family and as he reminds the disciples that he must suffer. Firstly then, in his greatness, Jesus serves a desperate family at verses 37 to 43. It, it is an unusual story that we get here. Jesus and the three disciples, they come down from the mountain and they find the other disciples unable to heal a boy. Um, even though at the beginning of, of Luke chapter 9, Jesus has given them power and authority to drive out all demons. And Jesus' response is pretty strong, isn't it? And it seems it's a rebuke of the disciples. Maybe they'd start to trust in their own abilities, not in Jesus' strength. But see, the point of this is that what was too much for the disciples is not too much for Jesus. Jesus is not staying up the mountain in glory. He's coming down to serve this family in need. See how Jesus does that in verse 42. He rebukes the impure spirit. He has power over evil. He heals the boy. He has power to restore what is broken. And he gives him back to his father. He has compassion. Don't know if you saw uh, in the week uh, the, uh, the news story online of the care home that managed to facilitate drive-through visits uh, for its residents. It was lovely. And they'd, they'd set each resident up uh, well-spaced from each other with a little number uh, beside them. And they told the family which, uh, which number to drive up to so that the families could, could wind down the car windows, uh, mask up, you know, full face mask on, and say hello and have a chat to the relatives that they'd been cut off from for so many months. And it was a far from perfect reunion, and yet there was a real joy in being able to see each other once again. We'll see how much more Jesus does here 
for this family. He gives his son back to the father. And as the crowd sees it, verse 43, well, they were amazed at the greatness of God. Greatness that has power, certainly, but greatness that serves. Jesus not only comes down to serve, but also to suffer, verse 43. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. We saw last week that, that Jesus knew what was awaiting him in Jerusalem. He knew he would suffer and be killed and rise again. How easy it must have been for, for the three who'd been up the mountain to forget that, given what they have just experienced. But here Jesus reminds them that is still the plan. The glimpse of glory hasn't changed what Jesus has come to do. The Jesus whose greatness they've just had a glimpse of is the Jesus who will come to suffer for you. The disciples don't get it, do they? Verse 45. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. I guess for us, even this side of the cross, we can sometimes find that hard to grasp. How can those two things, Jesus' greatness and his suffering, go together? Isn't, isn't greatness meant to shield you from suffering? But as Jesus willingly suffers, it only highlights his greatness all the more. And we've, we've seen a bit of that reality recently, haven't we? Um, we've seen that, that true greatness isn't the successful billionaire with everything the world could possibly offer, who, who hides away on their private island. No, true greatness is the care worker who sleeps on the floor of the care home in order to protect the residents. True greatness is, is the doctor who puts on all that PPE yet again in order to walk in to the COVID ward. That is greatness. And that is what Jesus does for you and for me as he comes to suffer. And so if you're not yet following Jesus, do you see what he was willing to do for you? To use his greatness to serve you and to suffer for you. Who else would do that for you? But if you are following Jesus, then I think the challenge of, of this passage comes in the next little two interactions that we get. As Jesus' greatness exposes our self-importance and our tribalism. That's our third and final point this evening. Jesus' greatness exposes our self-importance and tribalism. Firstly, then, our, our self-importance. Verse 46. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and made him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. 
for it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. See, the disciples really don't get it. See, instead of marveling at Jesus' greatness, they argue about who of them is the greatest. And you can imagine the scene, can't you? The, the three disciples who've been up the mountain, they may not be telling anyone about it yet, but they know that they've experienced something special. And they come down the mountain and there's the other disciples, not, not even able uh, to, to perform a simple miracle. And it's pretty obvious to them who's ahead in the race to be the greatest disciple. And that's a very human response, isn't it? To think, where do I come in this pecking order? Where do I rank? Well, you know, maybe I'm doing better than you. Maybe I'm sort of on par with you. Maybe I'm a bit behind you, but I've got time to catch up. That may be very human, but it is utterly ridiculous, given what they have just seen and heard of true greatness. And so Jesus chooses the least among them, a child, and gives that child the place of honor standing beside him. The child here, I think, is meant to represent not innocence, but lowliness, and the least among them, the most vulnerable, the least likely to be described as great. And it's, it's, a, it's a visual picture of the way in which Jesus' greatness turns the world's view upside down. So the challenge, if you follow Jesus, is not just to, not only to recognize his greatness, but to follow him. To follow him by denying yourself, giving up your status, by not playing the comparison game, but denying yourself in order that you might serve others. So I was thinking about this. I, I just think we see many examples of this in our church family. And those who could well have used lockdown to, to simply add more and more lines to their CV, but instead uh, have used their time to create videos for the Sunday school kids each week, or who have used their time to really commit to their DG group and so that they might encourage others even when they're exhausted at the end of the day. And Jesus says, that is greatness. Jesus' greatness exposes our self-importance and it also exposes our tribalism, our desire to be in the in crowd. Look at verse 49. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. See, again, the disciples have a very worldly attitude. We're the special ones. Uh, we've got everything right. Everyone else has got it wrong. We're the ones who really know Jesus. But Jesus says, whoever is not against you is for you. And I think that is very challenging as a church, especially as a church that is growing that has a certain energy about it, that takes the Bible seriously. 
we must always remember that we are not the only ones proclaiming Jesus in London. And just because others do it differently from how we might do it, doesn't mean we write them off. It's, it's not here saying that, that we should abandon any sort of discernment and we should just go along with anyone who, who claims to be doing work in Jesus' name. But the challenge here is that our default um, shouldn't be to assume that others have got it wrong. We should start by being generous and open-hearted. Because greatness doesn't rest with any one group of Christians. Greatness belongs to Christ. So is it worth following Jesus when he calls you to deny yourself, to let go of your ideas of greatness? This passage helps us to say, yes, absolutely it is worth it. Because Jesus is greater than anyone or anything else in this world. And Jesus uses that greatness to serve you and to suffer for you. So turn and follow him. Keep following him. No matter how hard it gets, follow him. It is worth it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we get here a glimpse of Jesus' glory and it is marvellous and it, it shows us that it is worth following him, that everything that he promises is true. Father, how extraordinary that that Jesus is the one who serves us and who suffers for us. Father, that just blows out of the water all our vain attempts uh, at greatness. Help us to see that. Help, that us, help us to trust, trust that. that. Help us to follow him. We pray, we pray in Jesus', Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Amen.